Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, if you'll do that tonight. 1 Peter chapter 1. I'd like to begin reading in verse 3, if I may do that. 1 Peter chapter 1, and beginning in verse 3, going down through verse 9. Hope you have your Bible with you tonight. Let's read a few verses together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. There is not a one of us that looks alike. We don't act alike. We don't dress alike. We have differing tastes, for example, in the food that we eat, in the books that we read, in the cars that we drive, in the music that we enjoy. We all have different backgrounds, and we have different goals, and we have different jobs, and we have different hobbies. We have differing opinions about politics and, and how to raise children. We have differing levels of education. We have different sporting allegiance. Look at us physically. Our weights vary. But then again, so do our heights. The color of our eyes. The color of our skin. The color of our hair. It is all different. It all varies. But ladies and gentlemen, there is one thing that we all have in common. And that is this. We all know what it means to hurt. Suffering is the universal language of mankind. Suffering is the common thread that weaves its way through every single human garment. Tell me that your heart does not go out to those Japanese parents those moms and dads who just like us are hurting these days because of that great tragedy that has occurred in their nation. Tell me that you don't watch those news clips and the news reports coming from that portion of the world. And even though you don't know those people and they're a world away, there's still something there that tugs at your very heartstrings. And I'll tell you why that is. We ache for people we don't even know. Because we know how much it hurts to hurt. And so when life hurts, 
and dreams fade. We may express our broken hearts in different ways. But each of us knows the sting of pain and hurt and heartache and tragedy. Be it disease or divorce or death or depression or any number of things. Because, ladies and gentlemen, life is hard. And there are some days it just gets even harder. And if life has not knocked you down to your knees, all that means is you have not lived long enough. Because eventually, everyone, everyone has a story. Look around among us tonight. Do you think you're the only one who walked in here with a hurting heart? Do you think you're the only one who walked in here who is facing difficulties and trials in life? Sometimes I think we think that. In this, in this audience of people from the outside looking in, we look like we have it all together. We look like we have all of the answers. We look like that we're not faced with the problems and the difficulties that people out there have to deal with. But I'll tell you the truth. It's not so. Because I speak to people sitting in this auditorium tonight who struggle and who hurt and whose very smiles tonight simply masks their tears. Because, ladies and gentlemen, life is hard. I made a list recently of people whom I know who are struggling who sit in an auditorium in an audience just like this. And as I made a list of the people that I know who are struggling and hurting, I remind you that these are, the, these are only the people I know. And how many hidden hurts are there that none of us know? And as I read through the list, see if you don't see yourself in one of these or someone you love. I preach to parents who are burdened beyond measure over their prodigal children. I preach to grandparents raising their grandchildren because if they don't, nobody will. I preach to caregivers who wonder if anybody understands their burden. I preach to a wife who watches helplessly as her spouse passes slowly from her. I preach to single parents facing double duty and feeling like an outcast in a world of couples. I preach to a sister who is battling alcoholism and to another who is battling depression. There's a young couple sitting there hoping for the blessing of a child only to be disappointed again. There's a middle-aged woman living with the emotional scar of an abortion that she'd like to forget, but she can't. There's a war veteran, and he'd like to forget some of the things that he saw, and he can't either. There's a Christian facing both his cancer and his fears. 
There are parents who have faced the awful and unnatural tragedy of burying a child. And there are the parents who face the daily struggles of raising a child with autism. There's a brother who has watched his marriage dissolve and now lives with the stigma of divorce. There are several widows who sit down as one each day at a table for two. There's the sister who harbors the awful secret of being a battered wife. There's the step-parent who always seems to be on the outside looking in. And there's that family that deal every day with a special needs child. There's a couple who's learned their son is a homosexual. There's an older couple who visits their son in prison. And on and on and on it goes. When I first started preaching, somebody gave me this advice. Preach to hurting hearts because there sits one in every pew. And I used to believe that, but I don't anymore. Because the reason, ladies and gentlemen, I don't believe that anymore is because I believe there's more than one in every pew. And so if you came in here tonight thinking you were the only one who's hurting, that you're the only one burdened, I will tell you very forthrightly, you are not the only one here tonight who is hurting. So what do we do? And where do we go from here? The judge's gavel has come down and those words that you thought you would never hear, you heard them. Divorce granted. What do I do now? The doctor has given the diagnosis and he's walked out of the room and he just, there I sit. What do I do now? The accident really happened. The loneliness, the, the, the emptiness is just haunting and it is eating me alive. What do I do? How do I get through today, much less tomorrow, and then all of the other tomorrows that I know are coming? How do I deal with all of this? What do I do? The first thing that I wish to say to you tonight about suffering is that there is no one-size-fits-all simplistic solution to this. There is no three-point magical plan that I can give you and say, oh, you do these three things and all of your pain and hurting is just going to go away. That's not real. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, I don't have the answers. I don't have the answers. In fact, when it comes to suffering, I have more questions than I have answers. But even though I don't have the answers, I know who does. And what that says to me is that if my faith counts for anything, my faith has to count for everything when life gets hard. And so does yours. Are you going to give up on God? Are you going to just give up on Him? Because things happen in your life that you don't understand and that you can't explain? As, as a mother, as a father, do you want your children, for example, to give up on you as a parent because things happen in their lives that they don't understand and can't explain? Do we not sometimes as parents... Given our children's lack of maturity, given their lack of understanding, do we not as moms and dads sometimes 
just sit them down and say to them, listen, honey, on this one, you're just going to have to trust me. Because you understand that if you explained it, they still wouldn't understand. Does not our Heavenly Father have the same right with His children? With you and with me? Suffering does not make you unique. It is how you choose to respond to it that will make you unique. And you can make the choice, and it is a choice. You can make the choice to become bitter, or you can make the choice to become better. And it is a choice that you can make, and nobody else. A choice that says, I'm going to trust in God even though things are happening in my life and I don't understand. Now, we began reading tonight in 1 Peter chapter 1. And the little letter of 1 Peter is all about hope. It is about hope. And as Peter writes to these Christians about hope, he takes a theme And he draws them all together with the commonness of this theme. And his theme is suffering. Fifteen times he mentions suffering in this first letter. And why? Do you know what it was like to be a Christian in the first century? These people knew suffering and they knew about hardship. And Peter writes to put their pain into perspective. And God has preserved this little letter down through the centuries to put our pain into perspective. And so it is that Peter writes to real people like us. He writes to real people facing real pain and he's given them real perspective on it because he's given them God's perspective. And look what he says in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Underline that in your Bible. Living hope. We have a living hope. Why? We have a living hope because we have a living Savior. That's why. And how does that relate to me? And how does that relate to my problem? I'll tell you how. Because He lives. Because He lives. I can face tomorrow. Because He lives. All fear is gone. Because I know who holds my future. And life is worth the living. No matter how hard it gets. No matter how painful it gets. No matter how difficult it gets. Life is worth the living just because. Say it with me. He lives. That's the message of 1 Peter. That's what he's trying to convey to us. And that's what we need to take home. I direct your attention specifically to verse 6. Let me leave you tonight with four truths about trials. Four things that Peter says 
about trials, about suffering that we need to understand based upon the text there in verse 6 and verse 7. You have your notes with you. I think you've got the outline there. Number one, he says in verse 6, trials, trials are sometimes necessary. Do you see that in verse 6? In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. He says sometimes trials are necessary. Why? Well, sometimes suffering is God's way of getting our attention that He has been unable to do so any other way. Sometimes God uses adversity to forge and develop needed character in His children. Sometimes suffering is God's way of teaching you humility. Sometimes suffering is God's way of teaching you to be patient. Sometimes suffering is God's way of teaching you to start depending on Him instead of yourself. We're so self-sufficient. We think there's not anything that we cannot handle. And then the rug is jerked out from beneath our feet and soon we learn a very hard lesson that I'm not in control of anything. And so the psalmist says in Psalm 119 and verse 71, it was good for me to be afflicted. You mean good can come from affliction? We, sometimes we hear people talk about good grief. You mean good can come from grief? Yeah, it can. If you will let God do His work. Listen to James in James chapter 1 and verse 2. When he said, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. He doesn't say if. He says when. In other words, if your life is painful, if you're going through difficulties, you're not the exception out here. He says you're the norm. Now, the problem is we focus so much on our pain sometimes that we forget that we're, we're not the only ones suffering, that others are suffering too. And while the specifics of their pain may be different than my pain, their difficulty and their suffering is just as painful to them as mine is to me. When our son Dale was three, I took him to Children's Hospital in Washington, D.C. Because I began to notice when he would hold a book, he would put it right in front of his face. When he would watch television, he would sit just an inch away from the screen and it became obvious there's something wrong. And so I took him to a, to a specialist in Washington, D.C. who specialized in, in, in eye difficulties for the very, very young. And he was able to take that two-and-a-half-year-old kid and fit him with these special glasses. And I remember the day finally we walked out of Children's Hospital and an airplane was going across the sky and I looked down and suddenly his face was just aglow and his mouth was open and he was watching that airplane. And it dawned on me, he's never seen one before. 
and a whole new world opened to him. But as he progressed through school, on into the middle school years, his peers made life miserable for him. Because he was Dale Adams, the kid with the Coke bottle glasses. And I'll never forget the day they finally let him have contact lenses. His face shone like the sun. It was already bright as, as it could be anyway, but he just got brighter. And there would be additional surgeries that would have to take place, but it never dampened his zest for life. And if I heard it once, I heard it a thousand times come from the mouth of that kid. And this is what he says, and he says it to this very day. Dad, attitude. You just got to have a good attitude. And I often think to myself, why did that kid have to go through all of that grief for years? And then I thought, you know, one of the things that came out of that was that that kid taught his dad about how to deal with adversity. Because I learned from watching a kid grow up and deal with his. Attitude, Dad. You just got to have a good attitude. I get put out with people sometimes who act like they have cornered the market on suffering. That nobody is suffering like they're suffering. Or sometimes you ask people how they're doing and they will tell you. They will tell you everything and they will tell you stuff you don't even want to know. And I've heard people say, oh, Brother Adams, you just don't know about the circumstances I'm under. And I think to myself, wait a minute, if you're a child of hope in heaven, if you're a child of hope in heaven, what are you doing every day living under the circumstances? I understand we all have bad days. I get that. I, I, I've been there, done that. I understand that. But if you're a Christian, what are you doing day after day after day under the circumstances? Aren't we supposed to rise above them? Aren't we supposed to let our light shine in front of our mates, in front of our friends, in front of our family? When James says, consider it all joy, my brethren, this is a joy that rises above the circumstances. Because this is the joy that puts another perspective on pain. God's perspective. It doesn't minimize the pain. doesn't deny the reality of it. It simply helps you begin to see things from God's perspective. Attitude, Dad. You just got to keep a good attitude. Trials sometimes are necessary. Look closely at verse 6. Not only are they necessary... He says, they are distressing. You see that in verse 6? In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed, the New American Standard says, by various trials. Gerald Seitzer, in his book, A Grace Disguised, talks about the tendency that we have of trivializing somebody else's trouble by comparing it to our own. And he makes this observation. Though suffering is universal, each experience 
is unique. And that's why comparison does not comfort anybody. For example, the parent who has just lost a son on the battlefield of Iraq is not helped at all when you come up and say, well, I know how you feel because my grandfather lost a cousin in World War II. Or the person whose home was flooded and gutted last spring in the flood of Middle Tennessee is not helped at all when you come along and kind of just blow it off and say, well, you know, we had some trouble back in the storm of 04. We lost some shingles too. And folks, we're bad about that. When my friend David and co-author of the book that we wrote together lost his son in an automobile accident on his way back to college, he said to me, he said, you know, we had the visitation that night and probably a thousand people lined up and we were there for hours and hours. And he said, everybody that came through, you know, tried to say something. And he said, here's the amazing thing. I look back on that night and he said, I don't remember anything anybody said to me. With one exception. He said, I remember very distinctly that a young man came through that line and he shook my hand and he said these words. Brother Lanfear, I know how you feel. My uncle died last year. He said, do you know what it takes to bite your tongue and to hold your heart when everything inside of you wants to scream and say, I did not lose my uncle. I just lost my firstborn son. But he said, you just hold it in. But he said, that's the only thing I remember anybody said to me that night. What's the message? I'll tell you the message. The message is, ladies and gentlemen, there are times when silence is golden. There are times when we need to just keep silent and weep softly and tenderly with people. Listen to Paul in Romans chapter 12. Weep with those who weep. That's why God has given us tears. You can never go wrong with them. Tears speak what words do not. There are times, and I know this sounds strange, there are times people will need your shoulder more than they will need a string of Bible verses. Listen to him in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There are times just to be silent. The struggles of each of us are personal and they're very real. That's why we approach people with the compassion of Jesus. Jesus not one time ever compared trials. He never did that. He could have. Jesus could have said to some of those people who stopped Him along the way, He could have said things like, Listen here, fella. You think you've got it rough? What you're going through is nothing compared to what I'm going to face in Jerusalem. He never did that. Not one time. 
Time after time after time. Jesus reached across the path of human pain and He offered people a hand of compassion. And sometimes Jesus just sat down and cried with people. And that's what we got to do. Because trials are distressing. That's what Peter says. They are distressing. And then he says, third, trials come in various ways. Do you see that at the end of verse 6? You have been distressed by various trials. The word various is an interesting word. It is the Greek word pokalos. It is the word from which we get our words polka dot. That's the word polka dot. Well, how does that make any sense? Well, I'll tell you how that makes sense. How many of you ladies have gone to Penny's or Kohl's or Dillard's or wherever you shop? How many of you have gone to one of those stores to buy a dress and you go in there and you ask the manager, I'm here to buy a dress. I want a dress with one polka dot. You don't buy a dress with one polka dot. Not unless you're weird. <laughs> Nobody buys a dress with one polka dot. If you're going to buy a polka dotted dress, you get a dress with a bunch of polka dots. And that's the word. What he's saying is, trials don't just come in as one. It's not like it's one and done. Lord, I've, I've suffered through. I guess this must be my trial. So I've got it over with and I, there won't be any more. That's not what he says. Trials come in a variety of ways. Trials can be physical. Trials can be emotional. Trials can be relational. Trials can be financial. Trials can be spiritual. Trials can come suddenly, like a storm that drops down out of the sky and wipes away your subdivision. Or trials can come slowly, like a disease diagnosis. And a sickness that lingers and lingers and lingers. Trials can be public and everybody knows what you're going through. Trials can be private and nobody but God knows what you're going through. Trials can be related to your sin. Trials can be related to somebody else's sin. Trials can be related to absolutely no sin at all. Job suffered the loss of his family, the loss of his business, the loss of his health. But David suffered too. And you could argue that King David brought a lot of it upon himself, and that would be absolutely true. But he still suffered. And here's Hosea, who suffered because his wife went out and committed adultery, and God said to him, now you know how I feel. And then there was those first century Christians receiving this letter. And they're suffering. Then there's the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9, God said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And it's, just, it's the same with us. 
God has no trouble matching the color of His grace with your particular shade of trial. I don't care what you're facing, it doesn't matter. God will give you the grace to get you through it. He will give you the strength. There is a verse in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10. That became a highlight verse for me. This is what it says. The joy of the Lord is your strength. What is my strength? The joy of the Lord is my strength. God can give you strength that you didn't even know existed. He can help you through whatever trial it is, whatever comes your way. And the last point he makes in verse 7 is that trials have a purpose. And that, that purpose is to grow us, to mature us. Do you see that in verse 7? That the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is through the refining fire of God's furnace that our faith is forged. And so the question is, will our faith melt away under the pressure? Or will we come forth shining like gold that has been purified? That's the choice that we can make. The most powerful thing God places in your hand each day, the most powerful thing is the power of choice regarding what's going to be my attitude today. But ladies and gentlemen, it is a choice that you have to make and remake every single day. Just because I've had a good attitude today doesn't mean that all of the hurt and all of the pain is just going to go away. Remember Jesus said to pray, give us this day our daily bread. The same principle is true with what God will give you regarding His grace to see you through the difficulties of life. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough difficulty of its own. God will get you through today. And tomorrow, He'll get you through tomorrow. But He's not going to get you through tomorrow, today. Give us this day what we need to get through. I love the verse in Isaiah chapter 40. I think it's in your notes. Those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. Listen to this. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and faint not. There have been days that I have soared. There have been spiritual mountaintop moments in my life. And I bet you've had them too. There are days when you're just like you're on top of the world and you're wanting to just sing how great thou art and God is just right there with you. But there have been days I couldn't soar, but I could run. And those were pretty good days. And God was right there with me on those days. And there have been days I couldn't soar or run, but I could walk. Somehow I could make it through the day. And God was right there with me to help me get through the day. And there have been days I couldn't soar, run, or walk. 
And God just picked me up and He carried me. Just like He has picked you up and carried you. I know that because in Hebrews 13 and verse 5, it says, I will never desert you. I will never leave you. And that is a verse we have to embrace. Somebody said one time, God cannot use you greatly until He has broken you completely. I think Job would understand that. I think Joseph would understand it. I think the Apostle Peter would get it. And I think Saul of Tarsus would understand it too. And I think there's probably people here tonight who would understand it as well. Everyone has a story. It's interesting to me the stories that people tell you about their lives that you had no idea. This young mom came to me back here in Tennessee. She said, here's my story. She said, I was an exercise instructor. And she said, I, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. She said, we had three little girls, three kids. And she said, I just, I was devastated. I was so devastated. And she said, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed that the Lord would stay with me. That if it was His will to take me home, then I was okay with that. And she said, it was the hardest prayer to pray, but I prayed, Thy will be done. But I also prayed that if the Lord would stay with me and I would get through this, that I would climb the highest mountain and I would praise Him from the peak of that mountain. If He would stay with me in the valley, I would praise Him from the highest peak. And she said, I did that. I beat it. And she said, I trained and I trained. And I flew to Africa. And she said, I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, 19,340 feet. And she said, I sunk down into the ice on top of that mountain with the tears coming down my face. I said, Lord, I told you that if you would stay with me in the valley, I would praise you from the peaks. And she said, that's my story. What a story. I sat at a Bob Evans restaurant in southern Indiana with a man who's 70, 72. It was the first time he and his wife had been separated after the accident. They had lost their daughter Kim to cancer. Kim and I grew up together. We're the same age. And then their younger son, Mark, had been killed in an automobile accident. And here's this, here's this couple who ought to be enjoying the great years of life. And they're going through grief beyond words. And I sat with Reggie across the table and I said, Reggie, you hear people talk all the time. It's a day at a time. It's just a day at a time. And he looked at me and he said, that's a lie. It's not a day at a time. He said, for us, it's moment by moment by moment. And he said, every day, I have to be strong for her. 
But every afternoon, she goes in and takes her bath. And he said, unknown to her, I go out into the backyard and I cry like a little baby. Because he said, Wilson, it hurts so bad. He has a story. But everyone has a story. My friend Debbie, her husband ran off with another woman, but only after he had beaten her on a number of occasions. The sad part is he was a gospel preacher. You talk about a dilemma. Who do you tell that to? Who do you share that information with, ladies? Not long after the divorce, she was left raising three boys without much to live on. She got the call one day that no mother ever wants to receive but always lives in fear of receiving, and that is that her middle son had been killed in a car wreck on the way to school. But as Debbie told me the story, she said the week before the car accident, she said Gabriel had gone out that night with friends from high school, and he wasn't gone very long on a weekend night. He was back home. And he went to his room and shut the door, and she said, Mom's antennas went up, and I knew something was wrong. And she said, I went and I began to talk to him. And he said, Mom, they went out drinking. And I knew I couldn't do that. And I asked him to bring me home. In the days that followed, Gabriel's peers made life especially hard on him. They ridiculed that kid. They laughed at him. They called him every name you can imagine. And on Thursday of that next week is when the accident occurred and Gabriel lost his life. But on the day of the funeral, all those high school kids came. The very ones who had laughed at him and mocked him, they came. And as each of those kids made their way past the casket, every one of those teenagers placed into that casket next to Gabriel's body a note. And every one of those notes were notes of apology to simply say, I'm sorry. Debbie has a story. But we could go around the room tonight and we all have stories too. Life is hard. And some days it gets harder. And that's why God has given us the church, ladies and gentlemen. That's why we have each other. We forget sometimes that we're family. And that one of our purposes is to help each other and to wrap our arms around each other and to encourage and strengthen. Because let's quit pretending like we don't hurt because we do. And I need help and you need help and we all do.